you can never be a hundred percent, you know, not wasted uh, if you're not challenging the status quo enough. Hey everyone, CK here and welcome back to Half Wasted Season 2. In this podcast, we invite some of the brightest and smartest marketers around the world to discuss how to make marketing an investment rather than a black box cost. Glad to have you with us. Now let's dive into the world of marketing effectiveness. Okay, but yeah, all right, uh, Season 2. Starting off with with um, extremely interesting guest Ashley Lewin from Refine Labs. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you. Happy to be here. Ashley, you you, you must have heard John Wanamaker's famous quote: uh, "Half of my advertising spend is wasted." The problem is, I don't know which half, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, famous quote right there. Um, definitely think it's still true to this day. Uh, Before digging into this, though, I just want to first set the precedence. I don't think you'll ever not waste money in advertising if you're challenging the status quo. So it's it's always kind of uh, either short-term or long-term benefits. Yeah, I think with advertising, you're constantly taking a bet. You know, you're taking the the best risk assessment of first and foremost, is this solving a problem? Are we targeting the right people? And what's what's the challenge that we're going to take on? You know, what's the risk? Uh, all great advertising takes a risk. And so I think if you're not really going for that and challenging yourself, uh, you know, you're actually leaving a lot of potential money on the table. So I think you're always going to waste some type of advertising. It's just inevitable. What about if we think about very uh, a very American advertising event, Super Bowl, like, yeah. do you think those kind of uh, budgets are well spent? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> classic Super Bowl question. Uh, it depends. It really depends. And it depends on the creative uh, in the brand. I think there becomes a maturity in the brand where you can take those greater risks with your brand uh with a super bowl commercial of gosh i haven't checked the numbers on it for a couple years but multi-millions uh i mean if you're a pepsi or you know those greater budweiser it makes sense you know you're you're really at that point uh advertising for just further and further brand awareness and just conversation how do you get yourself inserted into that room where people are having a party or watch a view you know viewing party uh and so that they keep talking about your brand because they're aware of you they know who you are they know they probably have tried your product uh but you just need to keep remaining top of mind for them versus when you're a much smaller company like most b2b companies or uh software as a service companies uh I don't think that is the right placement, uh, just due to budget constraints, uh, targeting, uh, things like that. But it, it, in a way, kind of uh, legitimizes your brand because the kind of the brands that get to advertise at Super Bowl, those are the kind of the more prestigious ones. Yeah, kind for sure, for sure. Uh, and it's been interesting to see how brands have been utilizing that space more and more moving forward, how they're making it more interactive. Um, is there a PR play you can do with it? I've seen, gosh, I can't remember the company off the top of my mind, but 
they forego their Super Bowl placement and they donated the money instead. Uh, I know that's true. For instance, I was going down a rabbit hole. This isn't Super Bowl related, but Black Friday related in America of, um, you know, heavily discounting. And Patagonia does a did a very PR play with this of not doing a discount. And instead they were going to uh, donate all of the proceeds from the Black Friday timeline to um, grassroots uh, nonprofits that are very environmental friendly and so they got a they i think they like quadrupled or something like that their their revenue versus doing a discount so i see that happening in the super bowl area as well of you know like what other ways can you just spark a conversation how can you be cutting edge how can you just you know keep the conversation going and it doesn't always have to be a traditional super bowl spot either and um, if you think about the impact of marketing and uh, kind of uh, the metrics in it, what's what's the difference between demand gen and then the traditional lead gen? Yeah, I love this question. Oftentimes demand gen and lead gen get kind of coupled together. I think it's because it's kind of a lack of understanding of the differences between the two. The simplest way I like to describe it is demand gen is about creating demand for product for your product or service. And lead gen is about capturing leads. So lead gen is, you know, content gating. It is how many leads can we generate for our sales team? And demand gen is how much awareness uh, can we generate for our company? So it's not measured on a lead quota. Okay, so they're kind of um, different sides of the same coin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you need both. Um, I'd actually, mm, in a sense, you it's an elevated version of lead gen that you need. Uh, lead gen that is not around MQLs or SQLs, uh, but is around opportunities. So I always like to base it on sales qualified opportunities. So there's no way of getting around that. You do need that metric in order to create a roadmap for pipeline. Uh, so you are generating that. It's just not in the traditional sense that most companies have been executing uh, lead gen on. If you if the kind of the demand gen side of marketing uh, is is kind of uh, its its mission is to drive the awareness. Uh, what what's the next step after awareness? Is it more um, is it more better fit for companies with uh, this kind of um, pull pull method or or kind of um, how do you capture that aware, uh, increase in awareness? Yeah, that's a great question. So demand, I think, is needed in every single company, B to C, B to B, different maturity levels of the companies in those. Um, the way that I really like to look at it is um, scaling demand is attracting the 99% and then you capture the 1%. So getting yourself in front of potential buyers before they even realize that they have a problem uh, that you know you help solve with your solution or you know how do you get your brand and that education and thought leadership ahead of them so that when they do start to think about you know, I really need a solution to help solve this problem that, you know, self or whoever it might be, uh, you know, 
taught me about, then they think about you right away. And then they go into the capture demand uh, and that's where you will capture them. And that's where a lot of last touch attribution is helpful to figure out where they're coming from. So, you know, was it a paid search ad? Was it uh, schedule a demo on the landing page? Where was that that we captured it so we can keep refining that? Uh, and then asking the prospect or customer, how did you hear about us? is a tactic that most companies are not executing. Uh, and it's something that Refine Labs has been testing with our clients, but also ourselves and comparing the two of, okay, you have the capture demand piece and that's easily uh, defined within, within attribution software, but how did you hear about us often isn't captured because a lot of times someone may not click on that ad or they heard about you at an event or whatever it may be. So you really have to truly ask them in order to figure out how are you creating the demand, uh, which is a more um, qualitative and then quantitative. So think about it this way. A lot of companies would look at last attribution and say, uh, I'm going to pick on a couple of scenarios. One is we saw organic was down for schedule of demos. Uh, so they'll go and say, what, what did we do differently in SEO? Uh, what keywords dropped off, anything like that. But if they're not also looking at the qualitative of how did you hear about us, they may be missing. Uh, okay, so most of these leads were, they saw us on a LinkedIn ad and then they converted via organic. And if you don't have the two together, you wouldn't be asking other more sophisticated, better questions to understand the dip, such as, did we spend less in LinkedIn? Did we change an ad? Um, are we seeing ad fatigue? Things like that in order to figure out why you're seeing that dip. Think about the, the kind of uh, inbound traffic and, and kind of uh, the final steps. Are you kind of uh, against or with gating content in general? Uh, I'm against it personally. <laughs> I think, especially if you listen to a lot of Refine Labs members, you'll you'll hear that we're very opinionated on this. And there's a couple of reasons why. Uh, first and foremost, it's just the barrier of entry for education. So the reason why we create content is for education. It's for further awareness to provide value. Uh, but a lot of times if you put a form in front of that, it reduces the amount of eyes that could be potentially seen on that piece of content that you spent hours and hours beautifully writing. Uh, so it's it almost just prevents those extra eyes, but also there's a couple of other reasons and it's really because the way that buyers have changed from 2011 to 2022, I almost said 2021, uh, is quite a bit different. So the playbook in you know 2011 and the early days of b2b with content marketing was gate and so that you could get very quality content however we've changed you know now we're going to slack or linkedin or other professional uh groups and asking people about different products instead of just purely looking for a guide uh to answer our questions so TLDR on this, it's mostly just because you're preventing the amount of eyes that can be seen on it and uh, really reducing the barrier or increasing the barrier of entry um, to that. So a much better use of it is uh, putting the education, literally giving it away for free. Uh, so all of your knowledge, everything. Uh, our CEO at Refine Labs does a really great job of this. Of every piece of knowledge he has, he 
you know, we'll either put on the our podcast or LinkedIn uh, and give it away for free because when someone sees that, they will say that is truly valuable. I respect X company. Uh, I want to do business with them. So I think it's just a difference between the two um, optically. Do you think we have also changed a bit uh, in terms of the consumption? Like uh, people need to be provided the value before before they even start to evaluate different options. Yeah, I think you're so spot on right there, uh, especially because there's a whole lot of options out there in terms of software and solutions. Uh, educating the market on your differentiations and your product and the value you provide before they even get into that comparison stage of the shopping or in the buyer's journey will just get you, you know, so much further ahead than your competitor. Yeah, and if we think about the kind of the new status quo that maybe Refine Labs is ushering in, or or what we've seen uh, in the early stages of 2022 is that most companies start to ungate their content, and mm-hmm. if you're, if you're that one company that doesn't ungate it, you you seem kind of sketchy and maybe a bit a bit kind of uh, over your head. No, that's so true. Another thing, if you are getting content right now, is to kind of like an in-between step you can do is to start measuring how much consumption of that piece people are reading. So I think a lot of the problems right now is gating content is a form of generating leads for your SDRs or BDRs to call. But if you truly look at it and see how much of it they consumed, typically it's not very much, if at all. So then SDRs and BDRs are having these low, you know, low quality conversations, educating on who you are as a company. Uh, So a good kind of middle step as you're going into this, you know, maybe testing out ungating your content is first and foremost, measure how much of your content is even being consumed. Um, And another big thing to call out to it's, Ungating content is more than just removing a form. It's really changing your distribution strategy and your content strategy to match this idea of consumption where it is easiest for the viewer to see. So if you're still packaging it up in PDFs, such as like an ebook or a guide, and you're just removing the form, you're still not there when it comes to ungating the ungating movement. You need to, the way that I always kind of advocate for is Put that, you know, what you were going to put in a PDF, put it on your site, you know, similar to what you would do for a long form uh, blog post or put it straight into your social media channels or whatever it may look like so that people can see it right away and they don't still have to download that PDF, which is a little bit old school at this point. Um, is there any room for these these kind of uh, lead gen forms in the in the future? Or is I don't it No. No, I don't think so. Uh, I think that there is room still for high quality uh, lead gen in the form of the highest converting touch points, which are typically for B2B SaaS, like schedule a demo, contact sales, uh, things like that, that are truly, truly hand raising saying, I want to talk to your salesperson. Uh, That, of course, is never going to go away. Uh, So I don't. So I will still advocate for that. Yes. Uh, if you then have to give up the like um, comfortable or traditional MQLs in a way that the lead gen forms go away, how would you then measure the success of your marketing? Yeah, 
Um, I love this question. So the way that I always advocate for measuring successful marketing is just by pipeline uh, and revenue. So is your inbound revenue uh, from your website or however you define it as a company, is it growing? Uh, and you can back your way into this too to figure out marketing goals. So you can take your total inbound revenue needed and then figure out what your uh, you know, annual contract value is to figure out how many deal one, deals one that you need. Um, figure out how many or what your win rate is. So you figure out how many sales qualified opportunities you need. Uh, and that's where you can get that lead number for marketing. Um, it's just a different type. It's not an MQL. It's a highly converting um, proven uh, lead for the sales team to increase that inbound revenue pipeline. Uh, and this takes us back maybe to the first first questions, but uh, wouldn't you then need some way to attribute the sales or kind of the opportunity to marketing when you don't have these actually these kind of uh, triggers in the in the consumption uh, journey? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the way I look at it is just inbound as a whole. Uh, you can look at the capture. Typically, they're the high converting touch points. So that schedule a demo, contact sales and using those for attribution uh, for inbound or website conversions. Uh, if you want to break it down from there, you can based on where you're capturing and then also making sure you're noting where it's being created to uh, by asking your customers how you heard about them. Uh, but yeah, you can break it down by channel then. I wouldn't create goals along that. I think it's more for the insights and in the marketing uh, team. But typically, I just look at total number of um, demo requests needed or things like that, and then setting the goal on the SQO or sales qualified opportunity number. How closely do you usually work with with the sales team or the SDRs? Yeah, ideally, marketers should be working like super, super close with sales. Uh, uh, I, in my past, have always been in, I think it was weekly and monthly meetings with SDR managers, uh, account managers, and then VP of sales and up. Uh, I think those conversations should be very uh, frequent and that you are working together because at the end of the day, you're both working hand in hand to hit that revenue goal. So making sure the feedback, feedback loop is really well defined, um, et cetera. Typically, when you switch to this more demand gen approach to marketing, uh, sales will be ecstatic because it's much better conversations for them. Uh, they're closing more deals. They're not having as long of sales cycles. Average contract values go up. Uh, so I think it's a win-win for both sides. We, we know, like based on our conversation, that uh, marketing can provide sales good, good quality content. But what can sales provide marketing? feedback. Uh, yes, making sure that they are always giving back feedback on, uh, you know, what's a good lead? What kind of conversations are they having? Is there a trend in a certain feature that's being highlighted more? Uh, they're really kind of having that pulse on the customer base. And without that fluid feedback loop, marketing is kind of in the dark a bit. Uh, so making sure that you're working hand in hand there. Um, also, there's a couple of operational pieces I think that sales can really do to help marketing out, and it's capturing closed lost reasons. So marketing can do an analysis on, you know, is there a certain 
I don't know, source or whatever campaign or whatever it might be that's closing out because due to pricing or due to timing, whatever it may be, so that they can adjust their strategy or their targeting a bit more so they're not wasting spend on the wrong people. Maybe one of the most common common kind of uh, reasons for not buying is that uh, the solution didn't feel relevant or they didn't have the time mm-hmm. and re- kind of the resources at the moment for it. So have you found a way for marketing to kind of tackle this issue? Is it just that we haven't maybe kind of uh, convinced the prospect or do you think it's just kind of uh, it's that 5% that's actually looking for solutions and then there's the 95% that's out of the market that's not currently looking for anything but just learning new stuff? Yeah, I think if when it comes into the sales realm and they're losing out due to due to those reasons, um, I think it's a lack of showing ROI on your solution. Uh, so oftentimes in uh, SaaS, you know, you provide so much value outside of your certain price point, which is where pricing and packaging is so critical to to really nail and to constantly iterate on. Uh, But typically you provide much more value than that one price tag, right? And if you're not marketing it correctly or talking about all the other values in the sales process that you have on top of that, you know, for instance, you may uh, with your software solution, you may lessen the need for five other, you know, add-ons or whatever it may be. So that's reduction in cost right there. Uh, But without properly educating that uh, to the prospect, they will typically, you know, they see the price tag and that's about it. So I think it really comes down to communication, both on the marketing and the sales side. Well, you kind of uh, earlier mentioned that you're you're kind of uh, pro-ungated content. What about showing the pricing on your site? Yeah, I think all companies should put their price tag on their site uh, because at the end of the day, there is a budget, right? Uh, And let's say, I don't know, I'm just going to throw out some numbers here. Let's say you have a price tag of $100,000 on your site and you are only budgeted $10,000. No matter the amount of education you can provide, it's still not going to be in budget for that prospect or that visitor. Uh, So let them, you know, qualify themselves out of the conversation because it's just not going to be a good fit. Uh, They just don't have that line item in the budget for 100K when they only have 10K in there. Um, I also really value companies who are very transparent. Uh, So I think that there's a way that you can eloquently talk about your pricing and packaging on your pricing site or pricing page. The pricing page is one of the most critical pages to really master and iterate on. Uh, So it should be a constant conversation of how can we better service this page. But, you know, even if it's like, I've, you know, I've seen the traditional software pricing page where it's the pillars of like this plan, this plan, this plan. And then underneath of it is the checklist of features. And then obviously as you go up in the pricing, uh, you get more of the checkboxes. But even something as simple as that is showing everything that is included in it so that you can uh, transparently showcase the price. Yeah, and it's a, I think it's a great tool to position your solution and, and kind of uh, set at least preliminary expectations in a way that, okay, this is this is on the high-end price range. This is going to be like um, 
the like a complete 360 service for me or, or kind of uh, the uh, vice versa expectation if it's like a 10 euro per month you you'll you'll know it's going to be a self-service tool but kind of uh, to give some sort of uh, manage the expectations to at, at, at least at some point yeah absolutely um well we'll talk about the kind of the ungating and the, the kind of becoming more transparent do you see any any other emerging trends in in demand gen or in marketing in 2022? Yeah, I think content distribution is going to see a huge uh, evolution. Uh, TikTok, for instance, is a force to be reckoned with. I mean, I think we hear about it every single day. But the fact is, is it's powerful and it's transforming brands and um, create content creators on the platform. And that's just one example of there's going to be constant evolutions of platforms and really thinking about them as distribution places for your expertise or your content. So I think we'll see continuous trends there. I think TikTok is going to explode even more. Uh, there's a corner on TikTok for everybody. Uh, like I wound up on the organizing side, like there's, and there's a huge one for the construction industry. Um, B2B has a huge corner on TikTok. So oftentimes I hear from a lot of business leaders of, oh, our, our audience isn't on TikTok. And yes, yes, they are. Uh, they're just using it differently. They're using it for education and consumption. Um, other trends I think that we'll really start to see play out even more in 2022 and beyond is creativity, uh, especially in B2B. I think we're going to start to see a lot more of us stealing from the B2C side of just creative marketing, you know, like true good marketing. Like I almost think back to almost like the Mad Men era of advertising of, you know, I think that we've gotten into this this almost boring space of we need to talk about our solution in a certain way instead of thinking of it generally in marketing and advertising terms and fundamentals of how do you capture an audience? How do you, you know, challenge the norm? So I think we'll see uh, creativity in B2B really blossom. At least I hope so. So this this will be the year that we finally figured out that there's actually people within companies and those yeah. people yeah, emotions and uh, kind of uh, you can you can be a bit crazy and you can be a bit daring in your campaigns. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, you sell to people, not businesses, you know, uh, and I think there's been this, you know, this thought that in B2B, that's not the case, but at the end of every single purchase is a human. And so how do you connect with that human? Yeah, and it's a, it's a great example. What, what, what you said that um, so many of us still struggle to understand TikTok, but that's just kind of one one like a tool for communication and you, you need to spend time to actually learn it learn like how people use it what kind of uh, what's the best best way to actually educate people as you mentioned lots of companies already are and uh, yeah. as we've talked in this episode this it's going to be this year's one of the main themes to actually move from from kind of uh, selling to educating people yeah, I love how you're calling that out of moving from selling to educating. I think that's going to be a huge trend. We see just, you know, more um, traction on. Uh, I look at like, for instance, when you were talking about TikTok, it's very similar to 
I'm going to use billboards as an example. Uh, you have to you have to write and create and design for the medium. So, for instance, you're not going to put a paragraph on a billboard. That's not what they're used for. It's you know awareness, quick. You have to. I think you have like what five or seven seconds while you're driving by to consume it. I think that's very true. You can apply that idea to all mediums, and I think we'll see even more careful execution with that. So for TikTok, for instance, it should look wildly different than your Instagram or your LinkedIn, et cetera. Um, so we'll definitely see more creativity designed to the medium. And it's a good good test in a way that, uh, at least to my understanding in TikTok, there are these like uh, small fads or trends that, that might not have anything logical behind them they're just kind of um, it, it it just happens and you need to kind of tap into it or otherwise you lose the momentum so companies need to be more adaptive need to be more agile and just kind of uh, be creative you you mm-hmm. can't have a playbook there at least at least in the long term no no you're so right there's no definitive playbook It reminds me of like old school social media saying like, uh, I don't know, made up holiday posts and things like that, uh, where, you know, all brands would post on. But it's the same thing for TikTok. You know, there's no set in stone playbook. It really depends on your industry. It really depends on your audience. Um, I really love just trial and error. So constantly being, try, you know, trying new things and figuring out what works for you. The only best practices are your own and figuring out what those are. So for instance, hopping on trends, like, is it, um, does your brand and your audience do really well with trending audio with TikTok? Or is it more of a stripped down version of just someone holding a phone and talking and educating and not hopping on those trends? I think the only way to figure that out is just through trial and error with the brand though. It still feels a bit kind of uh, weird that companies are moving into that space because it's kind of, it's not too long ago that uh, B2B marketing just ventured into kind of Instagram and uh, Twitter and stuff like that. Yeah, the Instagram one is crazy. I started executing, I created a advertising uh, program for a startup at the time. I think it's been about six years now. And when I started doing advertising in Google, or Instagram, it was kind of like a wait, Instagram? And that's where we saw the most success. And it was just a testament to go to where your audience is spending their time. Uh, so this was for designers and agencies. So you can imagine most designers and agencies were on Instagram. That's where they were spending their free time. So if you insert yourself into the conversation while they're spending their free time there, that's where you see results. Yeah. And then we, then we go back once again to the fact that it's, it's just normal people that mm-hmm. are the makers, but they spend time in weird places like social media and kind of online. You just kind of have to have your free time and it doesn't have to be like, it doesn't have to be that hard sell content in those medias. It's just kind of to leave your, leave your uh, brand in their memories somehow. Be funny, yeah. be creative, be like somehow memorable because nobody remembers vanilla. No. Yeah. You're so right. It's, I just keep going back to the Mad Men era, uh, (laughs) you know, like those pitches to clients of how do you become memorable? I remember there was an uh, episode of on Mad Men of pitching ketchup, Heinz ketchup, and they didn't even use the word Heinz in it. And this was, you know, 
revolutionary and daring. And they were talking about becoming memorable that whenever you thought about steak, you thought you needed ketchup with it because of the advertising being so well done. So yeah. I think you're so spot on. How do you, how do you create that memorability of your brand and solution and pain points? And I, it was funny. I did, did one, one episode with Smartlist, uh, head of marketing Rika, and she mentioned that uh, now that the cookie depreciation is kind of uh, upon us, it's not there yet, but it's coming. The privacy issues will kind of uh, surface more and more. Uh, digital marketing is is having this kind of identity crisis because it used to be this super effective media where you can over-optimize everything. Now the over-optimization and kind of the single event-based optimization is taken away. Um, marketers are forced to be creative there. They just have to experiment like what, what, what kind of creative will yield the best return. Absolutely. I feel like the cookie depreciation conversation is a lot like the algorithm conversation, you know, like Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. We've been having these conversations for years now. And I feel like there was a almost like a fear-based conversation of this is changing. We're not going to see results and whatever. But I think these improvements only help sophisticated marketers be better. So it's going to weed out marketers who are not executing on basic fundamentals or very well. And it's going to challenge marketing as a whole just to do better. So I don't think it's a bad thing. There's always going to be advancements in algorithms and different technical pieces. Uh, but I don't think it's um, going to be as challenging as kind of the conversation has been around it. Okay, uh, Ashley, I got to get, ask you one more question, but um, this is probably the most crucial one. And be honest, uh, is is Refine Labs advertising spend half wasted? <laughs> oh, great question. Uh, so first of all, Refine Labs does zero advertising for ourselves, so not wasted there. Nice. Uh, for clients, we do advertising for. But I go back to what I was talking about in the very beginning about advertising. You can never be 100%, you know, not wasted uh, if you're not challenging the status quo enough. So I'll leave it on that. Yes, there's probably possibilities it is. However, we are very confident that we are delivering the right creative to the right people in the right medium. Uh, so I think that's the best thing that you can do in advertising uh, is just going back to those fundamentals and really challenging the status quo.